Hi, I'm Candace Huber, and welcome to the Writers Forum. I'm here today with Charlie Jane Anders, who is the former editor-in-chief of io9, the extraordinarily popular Gawker Media site devoted to science fiction and fantasy. Her science fiction and fantasy debut novel, All the Birds in the Sky, won the 2017 Nebula Award for Best Novel and was a finalist for the 2017 Hugo Awards Best Novel category as well. Her tour.com story, Six Months, Three Days, won a 2012 Hugo Award and was subsequently picked up for development into an NBC television series. She has also had fiction published by McSweeney's Internet Tendency, Lightspeed, and ZYZZYVA, which are a lot of letters, but I think I got that right. Her journalism has appeared in Salon, The Wall Street Journal, Mother Jones, and many other outlets. So welcome, Charlie Jane. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so delighted to be here. This is super exciting. And so you've done a lot of different types of writing and like content creation in general. You have a podcast called Our Opinions Are Correct, which I was actually just listening to in my car on the way oh, yeah. here. <laughs> um, awesome. Also, and journalism and short stories and novels. So does, how does your thought process work or, or change based on the form of, of writing or content creation you're undergoing? Like, is, is it different for different formats? I mean, I think everything I write is always a little bit different just based on what the goal is and what I'm trying to do. And, you know, with journalism, often you just kind of go out there and talk to a lot of people and try to find out what's going on. And you kind of come up with what the story is after you've talked to a bunch of people versus, you know, often with fiction and, and kind of creative writing, you kind of know what the story is and you're just trying to find how does the best way to tell it and the best kind of approach to it. So it really varies. I think that the main thing about every piece of writing that I do is that you kind of start out with an idea of what you're writing about, like whether it's I'm going to go find out about this thing or I'm going to try to tell a story about something that I'm curious about or that I've been thinking about or imagining. Uh, and over time, you try to kind of get to the truth of it and get to kind of the the heart of it and and get rid of anything that doesn't uh lead you to that 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 heart of the the story or whatever and kind of pare it down to whatever it needs to be and and figure out the best way into it so there's always kind of some of the same process no matter what kind of writing you're doing i guess of just trying to find the best way to tell the story and get to the heart of the the the, the real issue or the real the real story and does it ever change for you? Like, do you ever start with, oh, I think this is going to be a journalism piece or a short story, and then it's like, oh, wait, maybe this is something different? I mean, I never have something that's fiction turn into nonfiction or the other way around. I definitely write fiction that's inspired by nonfiction stuff, and um, I, I think, and vice versa. I think that the two things definitely flow into each other and inspire each other and kind of inform each other. But I think that uh, for me, it's usually more like, you know, you might start out writing a short story that you think is about one thing, but then you get halfway through and you realize it's actually about something completely different. Or maybe you have to write it in a different genre than you thought you were, were writing it in. Or the main character actually isn't this character, it's some other character. Or, you know, you need a different style or you need third person instead of first person or something. And I think that with nonfiction, it's often, you know, it's a question of, how reported it's going to be versus how essayish it's going to be, you know. Going back to um, 
short stories because you wrote a whole lot of short stories, at least in the sci-fi fantasy genre, I think before you published All the Birds in the Sky. So what was there anything that made you want to write a novel versus continuing short stories? Had you always wanted to write a book or did you kind of just get an idea that was longer than a short story? Yeah, I mean, I, I love writing short stories. I still really love writing short stories a lot. And it's it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I had always wanted to write a novel. I, I actually had published a novel back in 2005 that was with a very small press uh, that kind of kind of flew under the radar a little bit. And I had actually written a few other novels before All the Birds in the Sky that never quite saw the light of day. So it was really nice to finally have a novel out uh, that was with a, a major publisher and that was getting, you know, a little bit more attention. And I mean, the, the the reality of short fiction is that unless you're one of the lucky few people like uh, Kelly Link or Ted Chiang or, or George Saunders, somebody who is just known as a short fiction writer and kind of has achieved superstardom just through short fiction, um, it's really hard to get that much recognition as a short fiction writer. Like I would say that 98% or so of, of short fiction published in especially genre fiction tends to get a relatively smaller audience and doesn't, you know, an individual piece of an individual short story or an individual uh, novella, unless the novella is published as like a standalone book, uh, doesn't tend to get as much attention as a novel. And also the money is not as good. Like it's, you can't really support yourself writing short fiction and you can't really, oftentimes when you think about the amount of time it takes to write a short story, and then how much you get paid for it, you actually made considerably less than minimum wage for that short story. So it's a little bit uh, tricky and a little bit challenging to do that. Yeah, and your book, All the Birds in the Sky, was amazing. It was my favorite book that I read in 2017. Um, And I tell people about it all the time. So just for uh, very quickly, um, because I want to talk mostly about your your new book, but what made you want to write that story? I'm just very curious as to where that idea came from. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things that just kind of dropped on my head or something. Like, I was... um, I was actually working on this other novel that was a urban fantasy sort of novel in the style of it's sort of in the same genre as like Richard Cadry and, and Sean Lynn McGuire's October Day books and kind of, you know, a little bit of a, a magical detective story. And I was kind of in the middle of trying to struggle with that. And then I was on my way to a cafe to do some writing. And this story idea just kind of dropped on my head. It was like, you know, this idea of like, what if there was a mad scientist and a witch and they, you know, were existing in the same world together and they had this whole complicated relationship. And I couldn't get that idea out of my head. It was like an earworm sort of. And so I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to just write down everything I can think of about this idea so I can go back to working on the novel that I'm working on. And I did, but I wrote down so much stuff and it was just Actually, I was like, okay, there's like, there's something here. And at first I sort of thought of it as just, oh, it's, you know, it's about genres colliding and it's about like these two different genres and the different kind of tropes and expectations and all the different cool stuff that you can have in a sci-fi novel versus fantasy novel. And it's about just throwing it all in into one book. And it was only over a period of time that I really started to think of it as a book about like a relationship and about kind of growing up. And, you know, being different, but not really knowing where you belong in the world. And 
finding this one other person who understands you who's kind of your opposite in a lot of ways. And that, that once I sort of thought of it as a more kind of personal story, then it, it kind of started to take more shape, I think. Yeah, and your your new novel, The City in the Middle of the Night, is super different from that one. It's much yes, deeper, it much more hardcore sci-fi. And so was that a conscious decision to make this, like, really different from All the Birds in the Sky? It Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, to some extent, you know, it was just that I got really fascinated with the idea of tidally locked planets. So The City in the Middle of the Night as, as I'm sure you know, it takes place on a, a tidally locked planet, which means that um, one side always faces the sun and one side is always facing away from the sun. So there's a permanent day side and a permanent night side. And the day side is, you know, really, really hot. And the night side is really, really cold and dark. And um, I just got really fascinated by that idea of what it would be like to live on a planet where there's just like, the day and the night are places rather than times and where there's just this permanent darkness on one side of you all the time that just is, you can, you can walk towards it. Um, and similar for this permanent like blazing light. And in my novel, people sort of live in between in the, the Terminator area, which is sort of um, the kind of twilight area between the day side and the night side. And I just sort of got obsessed with that. I guess, you know, the thing that that has in common with all the birds in the sky is that it's about, um, two different extremes, whereas All the Birds in the Sky was about science and magic. This is about sort of day and night and these two opposites and people who are caught in between them. So I guess I it sort of appealed to me partly because it's a story about people caught in between two opposites. But then, you know, I started writing it um, in sort of late 2013, early 2014, when we were actually starting to, we were selling All the Birds in the Sky to a publisher and we hadn't gotten a publisher yet. And I was sort of like, if All the Birds in the Sky does really badly or people don't like it, it would be really good to have a book that's kind of different that, you know, shows that I am I can do other stuff. And, you know, I just thought that it would be good to, to kind of hedge my bets a little bit and have another book that I was working on that was not quite the same book. Yeah, and it's um, it, it's awesome as well. I really loved The City in the Middle of the Night. Oh, yay, thank also, you. Yes, it was so good. And so I do think you were talking about sort of commonalities between this and All the Birds in the Sky, and I think one thing that I found that was common is that in both books, humanity is sort of sitting on the edge of destroying itself, <laughs> and these, like, drastic measures have to be taken, and there are two sides. Like you said, there's, you know, okay, we need to do this to adapt, and then other people have different ideas of what to do in order to adapt and survive. And the characters in intimate relationships in your books find themselves on sort of different sides or, or have different opinions about how to do it. And so is this something that you, like, think about a lot um, and... and Kind of what gives you hope in these situations when it seems like even now in real life, humanity is sort of destroying itself in certain ways? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of hit on it, which is that um, we are living in an era where it's easy to feel really despairing and, and sort of pessimistic about um, some of the challenges we're facing, especially climate change, but also just some of the kind of social and, and uh, political and cultural challenges that we're facing right now. And it's really easy to just sort of want to throw in the towel or, or whatever. Um, and I am interested in 
kind of how people cope with situations where things are kind of seem really fragile and, and precarious and like we're heading towards some kind of disaster, uh, which I think, you know, is kind of relevant to the world we're living in. Also, it's, it's an easy way to kind of provide stakes for a story that are kind of huge stakes, but aren't necessarily like there's a bomb that's going to go off. It's more like things are just really, you know, in a scary place and we have to figure out how to get through it. Um, and, you know, the thing in City in the Middle of the Night that I thought about a lot was that um, unlike in All the Birds in the Sky, where it's basically set in our world a, a few years into the future and there's advanced technology and there's this sense that even though things are really bad, technology and science are still making tons of progress. In the city in the middle of the night, it really is that progress has kind of stalled out. And in fact, um, the humans who've gone in to colonize this other planet no longer really have access to the same kind of level of technology that they had when they arrived, just because certain things were too hard to replace or, or repair. They lost a lot of their survival gear early on. And, you know, there's certain elements that they don't have enough of. There's certain manufacturing processes that they can't, you know, keep doing. So they have like a kind of uneven level of technology where they have some fairly high tech stuff, but they also have a lot of kind of low tech stuff. And it's really just about what you can afford to produce with the resources that they have on this planet. And, you know, I sort of think that that's realistic. I think that if you have a single, you know, ship of humans who go, try to colonize another planet, they might bring everything with them that they need to try to maintain our level of technology. But, you know, stuff will get destroyed during the journey. Stuff will get destroyed when you arrive. And inevitably, it's really hard with a smaller population and less access to certain resources. It's really hard to maintain that level of technology. And that's part of why sort of the debate in the book is, do we just try to hang on and maintain the level of technology that we have for as long as we can, or do we try to find a new way forward? And part of what gives me hope in general, because you asked about what gives me hope, mm -hmm. part of what gives me hope in general is, is imagining ways that people can kind of break out of the old patterns and uh, try to create something new and different, and also try to just have more understanding and more toward between different groups of people, and also more understanding of our environment, more kind of... Um, more, yeah, more, more, more understanding of the world that we live in and what it takes to to keep this world, you know, in one piece and habitable and everything. And I think that, you know, I, I part of what I try to do is imagine people reaching towards a better understanding. I guess. Yes, and you, and actually, um, just to mention this, there was a, a whole episode of uh, Charlie Jean's podcast, which is called "Our Opinions Are Correct," about hope. And, uh, yeah. and I thought that was really, that was an interesting conversation, which is part of why I wanted to ask that because I just recently listened to that one. Um, and so this, just this idea of hope. And, and I think that all of your, or the two books, uh, All the Birds in the Sky and Sitting in the Middle of the Night and pretty much all of your short stories that I've read, they all have this sense of hope in them. Even if things are terrible, <laughs> there's always a sense of hope in your work. Yeah. I mean, I, I really try to have that. I, I don't think it's, I don't I don't think it's good to read a book necessarily and come away with a sense of despair or just that we're doomed and there's nothing we can do. I think that, you know, part of what's great about immersing people in a fictional world and the lives of made up people is that it allows you to kind of 
imagine how you could get through something or how you could find new allies or, you know, find understanding across boundaries, across barriers. And I, I think that that's part of what's so great about stories. Yes, I agree with that as well. And you did mention um, colonialism, which is a big theme in the city in the middle of the night that humans are colonizing this other planet. And so that's a theme. Why do you think that theme in particular is important to tackle in sci-fi, especially? Because I think it's it's kind of easier maybe to do in sci-fi than it, than it is to do in other types of genres. Yeah, I mean, obviously science fiction has like a theme of colonialism and colonizing other worlds and other places that goes back pretty much to the early days of the genre. And definitely a lot of what you think of as like the archetypal sci-fi stories like Star Trek or whatever, they're always sending colonists to other planets and trying to establish human colonies everywhere. And, you know, I think right now there's a lot of talk about the idea that we need to be colonizing other planets because we might not have this one for much longer. And when you talk to scientists, like I was talking to a scientist recently who studies exoplanets, who was saying that people massively underestimate how difficult it would be to colonize another planet uh, for various reasons that are, you know, it's really hard to find another planet that is as suitable for human life as earth. Like we evolved on this planet. We got ahead of, we had a bunch of lucky breaks, like, there's a bunch of just lucky breaks that went into there even being atmosphere in our in our uh, oh, sorry oxygen in our atmosphere. That was a huge lucky break that we had to do with all these cyanobacteria that that kind of caused this you know revolution. I forget how long ago, but millions of years ago. And um, we're we're super lucky that this planet is so perfect for us, and we're perfect for it. We we evolved on it, so it's really hard to find another planet that we can live on. And, you know, obviously, we as a society are still confronting the fact that colonialism in the past did not turn out that great for a lot of people, especially the people whose lands were colonized. And that, you know, colonialism has this history of genocide and exploitation and erasure of other people's cultures that we're still living in the aftermath of right now. And uh, I think it's important to think about that and to think about you know, if we colonize another planet, part of what I kind of gently, hopefully, this book is not preachy, at least I don't think it is. No, I don't think what it I, is at all. <laughs> okay, good. Part of what I sort of gently kind of hint at here and there is that we're an invasive species. Like, just like when you bring, you know, cane toads to Australia and they start killing all the native, the indigenous wildlife because they're poisonous and they breed forever. Um, just like that, we're an invasive species when we go to another planet and it's not our environment and the native, the, the indigenous life forms, you know, aren't necessarily going to be happy to see us. And I think that that's the thing to think about because, you know, every planet has its own ecosystem and introducing humans and whatever other species we bring with us is going to be a huge disruption. And that sort of gives you another way to think about, um, colonialism and kind of the 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 kind of complicated problems of colonialism in a way. 
Yes, I agree. And yeah, I didn't find the book preachy at all. It's it's very subtle the way that you sort of weave the the themes in here, I think. Um, oh, cool. Yay. <laughs> and another theme that I found in this book is is time, which I know that you like Doctor Who just from the things that I've heard and, and read from you. And so time is a really interesting thing in this book because, you know, one side is all day, one side is all night. And so the way people handle time or not um, and how they structure time or not in this book is really interesting and really kind of shows that time is just this construct that that humans have created. Like it's not a thing unless you structure it into a thing. And so I was just wondering why you chose to showcase time uh, in in that way as well. Yeah, I mean, like pretty much every creative choice I made in this book was a product of thinking about um, the the tidally locked planet and the idea of living on a planet where there's a day side and a night side. And, you know, you can't look up at the sky and see the passage of time. Like the sun never moves. Uh, there's no seasons. Um, there's not even, at least until things start getting out of control, there's not even that much weather um, in certain parts, like where they have natural protection um, from from weather patterns coming in from the night or the day. And so it's basically like you just, the shadows don't move. Nothing, like I thought a lot about just light and how light behaves and what how strange it would be to live in a place where the light is always exactly the same and like the shadows are always exactly the same and everything is, you know, there's this kind of stillness to it, um, to this kind of unchanging sky. Um, and, you know, obviously the, it raises questions of how would you know when to sleep and how would you know when to work? And as you mentioned, there's two different cities that the humans live in, and one of the cities has imposed really strict um, rules on, like, everybody has to sleep at the same time, everybody has to work at the same time, we have a curfew, we have, like, and all sorts of other stuff starts becoming very regimented because of that, because once you start having strict control over that aspect of people's lives, it kind of leads seamlessly into trying to control other aspects. And... um but I was also just sort of interested in, you know, the thing of like not having this natural thing to tell you that that time is passing other than obviously there's biological functions that never that are that are intrinsic to humans that are going to always continue that will show the passage of time. People get older, people can have babies and it takes, you know, what would be nine months on Earth to have a baby. But, um, you know, I sort of. I, I sort of got fascinated by that idea of just like not being able to tell how much time has passed and not being sure if something happened recently or a long time ago because your sense of the passage of time is so warped and so kind of messed up and that you're just sort of used to that because you grew up with it. And um, and that did lead to me kind of thinking about how people think about the past and stuff that happened to them in the past and stuff that happened in history and how we how we kind of you know, something that I think about a lot is how sometimes people can, you know, have a really skewed view of, like, how recent something was. Like, you know, there are people, like, I remember reading uh, when I was young, when I was a kid, and the Balkans conflict was knocking off uh, when I was younger. Um, I wasn't a kid, but I was younger. And the Balkans conflict was kicking off, and there were all these articles about how people in the former Yugoslavia still were passionately, you know, upset about things that had happened like almost a thousand years ago. And they still sort of saw those things as recent history 
and they were still kind of really angry about stuff that had happened, you know, nearly a thousand years ago. And then you also have things that happened fairly recently that we all decided as a society, we just pretend that that happened a long time ago. It doesn't matter anymore. We don't care anymore. And it's just, it's interesting because people have this capacity to kind of, you know, make, to kind of change how recent things were in their minds, depending on how much they want to emphasize them. But also it's easy to sort of in real life to kind of lose track of the passage of time and be like, holy crap, it's 2019 already. I thought it was like, we just started 2018 and it's already 2019. That's bizarre, you know? Yes, it's so true. And time is just a fascinating concept in general. And so, yeah, I think it was it was just really interesting because it did. It made me think about, well, yeah, if this if this planet is like this and everything is like this all the time. How would you know without the strict regimented things? Like, how would you know that time is even passing? And so I just the idea of it was was really interesting to me. And so let's talk about just real quickly, the the characters in your story, you, there are three sort of main characters, Sophie, Mouth, and Bianca in The City in the Middle of the Night. And I know usually writers say that each character sort of holds at least a little bit of themselves. So I was just wondering how much of you manifests in these characters in The City in the Middle of the Night. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that's part of the fun of creating a uh, um, a fictional character is that you get to kind of access parts of yourself and you get to kind of think about, you know, things that you've experienced and how you can kind of represent them in a story and how you can kind of represent what it's like to go through a, a particular thing. Um, you know, in the case of Sophie, um, again, I really wanted this book to be different from stuff I'd written before and different from All the Birds in the Sky. And part of doing that was making Sophie not the same kind of character as the, the the protagonists of All the Birds in the Sky and not really the same kind of protagonist that I usually write. Sophie's very shy and introverted. She's very kind of um, in her own head and doesn't really talk to people unless she knows them. And she's there's not really ever going to be a moment in this book or ever where Sophie kind of stands up and gives a speech to a bunch of people or kind of steps forward and, you know, makes everybody stop and listen to her. That's not who she is. She's a really quiet, shy person who, you know, she still drives the story completely. Like, I think she's probably the main character of the story and her choices are what drive the story forward. But she's not, you know, an extrovert. And I definitely have a huge introvert side to myself because, I mean, that's, I think a lot of writers do. I can mm-hmm. I can get up in front of a crowd and be extroverted for a while and I can be gregarious for a while, but then I have to retreat back to my hole and kind of be introverted again. And that's just kind of how it is. And, you know, I think that, um, and, and Bianca is sort of, Bianca is kind of the flip side of that. She's very extroverted. She's very gregarious. And she's sort of that part of me, I guess, to some extent. And she's also just, you know, this, I feel like, I have a lot in common with Bianca in a way, probably more than anybody else in this book. Um, And Mouth was just super fun to write because Mouth is like a badass smuggler who's, you know, been in a million bar fights and has kind of crossed the world over and over again and gone through like all sorts of crazy, you know, danger and is still in one piece pretty much. And that was part of why I was keen to have Mouth in there is because she's such a different kind of fun, you know, tough badass character that it was really it was really neat to have her in the mix um 
I think that, you know, a lot of creating characters and bringing them to life and making them as real as possible is kind of acting. It's like I used to try to be an actor and I wasn't very good at acting. But the thing about acting is you have to kind of get into character and you have to kind of lose yourself in this one character and really try to get into their headspace and imagine what's what they're feeling and kind of act it out. And I do sometimes act out scenes between my characters kind of in, in the shower or whatever, trying to like get at like, what are they actually thinking? What are they, when they go into this particular scene, what's going on in their heads? You know, what are they going through? And um, I think that that's like a really fun thing to, to, to kind of, to do as like a writer to kind of play it being actor, an actor a little bit, I guess. Yeah, and I think out of all the mouth was probably my favorite, just just oh, because yay. of I'm her so badassery. <laughs> and um, so, what is next for you? What are you working on now? I am working on a young adult trilogy. It's like a space opera, actually. It's sort of um, my partner Anna Lee was just comparing it to a little bit of like Guardians of the Galaxy. It's got a little bit of Star Wars, a little bit of Star Trek. But it's really like a super personal, emotional story about this girl who goes into space with her best friend and has to kind of confront this legacy this that she was has is connected to that, you know, it turns out she's actually really important in this war that's been going on in space. And it's been super fun to write. It's been just like, you know, I turned in the first book and I'm revising it right now. It's been just super exciting and fun. And it's it's about as different from the city in the middle of the night as the city in the middle of the night was from all the birds in the sky. It's, it's just action and, you know, character. It's like, it's, it's a lot of humor. It's really funny and snarky and kind of cute. And it has a lot of like, you know, I keep saying that it's like people kind of having feelings in the middle of space battles kind of, but it's, (laughs) it's, you know, it's definitely a YA. It's much more kind of personal and emotional and kind of, about these characters and their lives and stuff. That sounds really awesome. I'm really excited for that. Yay. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And so where can people find you if they want to get more information on you and your work? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Twitter as Charlie Jane, uh, all one word, Um, just Charlie and Jane, like the the names. I'm also at charliejane.com and charliejane.net. And I think also Facebook.com slash Charlie Jane. I'm pretty much that's where I am everywhere. Look for Charlie Jane. You'll they'll find you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here and, and talking to us today. I really appreciate your time. Yay, thanks for having me. This was super fun and you know, have a great day. That was Charlie Jane Anders, author of All the Birds in the Sky and The City in the Middle of the Night, which comes out February twelfth. That's our show. You've been listening to the Writers' Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our show every Thursday at 3 p.m. and again on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This show and all of WRBH's other interview programs will be archived on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm Candace Huber. Until next time.